Hi everyone and welcome to the Be You Mum podcast. I'm Annie, mum, wife, nutritional therapist, music lover and believer that animal print will never go out of fashion. I believe that we are at our most happiest and healthiest when all parts of ourselves are aligned and singing in harmony, the mind, body, heart and spirit. For me, like most, motherhood has been life-changing. It has opened up so many opportunities to learn more about myself and grow and become a better version of me and generally better human being. So this is what this podcast is all about. Conversations with awesome people who will inspire, inform and empower you to be more you at your brightest and best. Just like health and happiness, I believe there is no one-size-fits-all approach to motherhood. Learning to better understand, love and be yourself is one of the greatest gifts we can give our children. So I hope you will join me on this podcast journey of self-discovery, self-growth and self-love because when we connect with ourselves and step into our personal power, our mummy magic can truly shine. So please keep listening and remember, always be more you. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 18, I think, of the Be You Mum podcast with me, Annie Breen. This week I speak with Brian Costello. Brian is an NLP practitioner and coach and founder of Headstrong Minds, home of one of Scotland's leading and most inspiring teams of mental health and change professionals. They are experts in changing the way people think. Brian and I have an awesome conversation. Um, We talk about mental health and how the approach to mental health has changed over the years. I have to say Brian's approach is incredibly refreshing. I have had the privilege of personally working with him. We also talk about using painful and challenging situations to fuel change. Brian shares his own inspiring story and I personally think this is the perfect time to be talking about this. We talk about modelling the message to our children and the importance of prioritising our own self-care needs. This is something that as a mum and I know as parents we can find really challenging, especially during these challenging times. Brian shares a model that explains this beautifully. And I think this will be really helpful for so many of us. I certainly found it um, profound when I heard it for the first time. So without further ado, let's get into episode 18. I'm sure you will get as much from it as I did having this conversation. So hi, Brian. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi there, Annie. No, a pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to our chat. Oh, yes. I've been really looking forward to it. I um, Just for the listeners, I've been working with Brian for a few months. I think I started working with you before Christmas. Brian is an NLP yeah. practitioner. Um, and I'll let him explain a little bit about what that is. Um, maybe as we go through our conversation, I can chat a bit about my reasons for working you from a mother's point of view. Um, but yeah, Brian, if you could just like tell us a little bit about what you do and your story that led you to be doing this work. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, well, you have to be careful with asking me that type of thing, Annie. You know, I can go on for, for quite a while. Everybody just sit back, relax. Here, here comes the story. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I suppose just for some context, I think that actually when I started doing this, I didn't know that this was what I was getting into at all. I didn't realize that there was a world of personal development and all of these different things. Um, I basically thought, like many people do, that I was stuck. Um, when I was in school uh, and in suitably Scottish fashion, I became what I like to call the big lanky ginger kid with the specs. So I became six foot two, super skinny, got these big glasses on. It was the time of Happy Mondays, so I got a lovely ginger curtains hairdo. Uh, I, I looked well stylish. I'm sure all the ladies listening to this will think, oh, what a picture he must have been of hotness. Uh, and um, But I thought I was stuck. I thought that that was the guy I was going to be, the guy that was bullied and low self-esteem and low confidence. So fast forward and through to 2003 when I started doing all this, I, I was 30 years old and I was somebody who could stand up in front of an audience. That, that was never a big issue for me. Um, but who away from that was anxious, depressed. These things weren't as readily bandied about terms as they are now from a mental health perspective. Um, but I, I mean, I had two kids by this point. I was about to get married. Everything was, everything looked in great shape, but um, it, it wasn't a, a great place to be. And the, in the spirit of honesty and starting from a, from a point of view of, of real honesty at this point, I was smoking a lot of weed. Uh, and, you know, my life was basically, oh, let's see what happens next. And then I walked into this training room and everything changed uh, in the course of seven days. Like everything just transformed. And the easiest way to explain what happened was that somebody for the first time in my life showed me that it didn't have to be that way. And that there was a possibility of something that could be different and that I could change. And not only... It wasn't like he could change it. It was that I could change it. It was that I had the the power. I had the, um, the the tools. I had the facility to do it. And from then, it just became a a huge, massive passion. So in two thousand three, I'm I'm working for Barclays. I'm working for the bank in in their stockbroking arm as a trainer. Um, four years later, after a couple more promotions and and things had happened in the bank, because all of a sudden, as I say, everything changed. Um, after many, many years of being a, a bit of a stoner. Um, within about eight months, I'd stopped smoking weeds. Within a year, I'd stopped smoking fags. Um, everything just transformed. And I, and I found a passion. I found a, a real mission that I thought, this, this is amazing. I don't want to just help myself. I want to help. And, and this was a huge motivation that will come into the story in a bit. I wanted to help other lanky ginger kids with the specs. I wanted to help other knees. I wanted to help other people who who had got to a stage in their lives where they thought they were stuck. And that's pretty much what now I've done. 2007, I left Barclays to set up Headstrong. And now here we are 13 years later. So I uh, have studied NLP now for 17 years, which is a bit crazy to, to think of. I think this is the longest I've ever done one job. I think it's, it's, I've never done one job for this long. Uh, but it's, it's really evolved. And now... Um, it's not just me. Now we I have a, a team of of coaches and fellow trainers, and uh, and and we're growing. We're we what what I'm 
now passionate about, and this might come in later on, is is over the years what I've seen as a, a real transformation in the way that we speak about mental health. Yeah. This type of podcast, and I think some of the things that we, I would imagine, just naturally our chat will take us to. When when my wife was having her children. Uh, and uh, you know my kids are now a bit more grown up. Everybody's going to can't see me, so they're going to get this impression that I'm super old because I'm about to say the ages of my children. But my kids are now you know just about to turn 21, actually, scarily enough, in about four weeks' time, uh, and the other one's 19. So, but all through that, when my my, my wife was uh, you know she was she had uh, postnatal depression when she was. Um, which was a huge motivation as well for me to go into to this because I thought, well, if I can help myself, maybe I can help her, which in the end I actually did and her story might come in uh, a little bit later. Um, but these conversations weren't as open. It was a hidden thing. I remember her keeping the fact that she was an antidepressant was a, a huge secret. It was like a, a massive thing. You know, what would that have been now 17 years ago? Uh, something like that, just as I was starting all this 18 years ago. Um, so now what I want to do is I want to have positive conversations around mental health because actually what we've done is we've transformed that conversation and that's what that's what Headstrong do, that's what I want to do is, and I hope that today exemplifies is a real positive conversation around mental health that it doesn't have to be all doom, gloom, fire, brimstone and scary stuff. A hundred percent. And um, let's let's have a conversation around that, because I think it's going to be massively helpful for people who are listening. Maybe if it's not them, they know someone who is struggling. But I think it is just that awareness. We all have mental health. It's really hard to kind of decompartmentalize our health, like into the body and the mind. We are as one. But it's also really, really important to understand how each aspect of those work and also timely in terms of I'm sorry I'll hopefully get this podcast out quite soon but what's happened with Caroline Fleck like I, I that yeah. hit me quite hard because there's a lot of parts of her story that I can relate to and I think it'll be interesting to just open up that conversation what have you seen so when you started practicing when you got into this in 2003 you don't look old enough by the way <laughs> i can see people um, so well done whatever you're doing is working um, i'm ginger that's what you see this is ginger perks now Annie. that's what it is <laughs> my genetics keep my skin looking young <laughs> i'm really interested to see what you think because you over those years because you got into this in 2003 and things were massively different i think even in the past year two years things have taken a massive shift because unfortunately it's so prevalent and i know you work with children and i see a lot of children young children who are suffering with probably conditions symptoms we relate to adulthood and it's quite scary so what what have you seen and yeah, let's open up that discussion around mental health. Yeah, it's a, a great point. Yeah, so when I started in 2003 the, and started learning all this, the, the, big, the big mental health thing was depression. That, that was what everybody was talking about. Um, to, to put some, again, some more context around that, the, the antidepressant that my wife was put on was paroxetine, which was the one that got um, a, a hell of a lot very deserved, as far as we can tell, bad press for... Um, the withdrawal symptoms and the really quite severe withdrawal that people were having off paroxetine. And this was just, this was at the beginning, I think, of a, a bit of a revolution. 
um, and how we talked about it. It was very secret. It wasn't talked about. It definitely, when I wanted to go into schools and uh, as we now do, and, and I wanted to talk about mental health, it, my, my thought was more to help the kind of socially awkward anxiety and panic attacks. That wasn't, that wasn't what was in my head. My head was helping the shy kids, you know, the, or the kids that, that thought that they were, they were outcasts and they'd be outcasts forever or all of this type of stuff, you know, to, to handle a bit of stress. When I started Headstrong in, in 2007, I'd say that was still the case. I, I went to, a, a, I don't know if you've ever done this, Annie, but there's a thing called BNI, Breakfast Networking International. Have you ever heard of it? No. It's it's hardcore networking is what it is. It's like you you get up every week and the the meeting starts at seven o'clock in the morning. So you're getting up. I just don't do that time in the, the morning. The word normally. breakfast put me off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you hear breakfast, you think nope, too early. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was it. They tried to entice you in with a bacon roll, but I've got to admit, I did it for two and a half years. I'll think about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of the things that. Uh, that I sold myself in the first year that I was there I, I sold myself as somebody who liked to work with depression and I and I would stand up in these rooms and, I, and I'd say you know I'm Brian I do this I didn't even really use the term mental health because it wasn't as big a, a buzzword at, at that point and I think probably probably about 2010 2011 so that that would have been when when my kids were kind of my oldest was just about to hit high school and Jody was just hitting high school there seemed to all of a sudden be a shift. And I think the shift was, um, and, and I'm not blaming this because I think it's got a lot of good things, but I think the shift happened in the fact that a lot of young people started to use social media and smartphones. Before then, it was the thing that adults used and you know, kids weren't allowed a Facebook account until they were 13 or whatever it was. But they all started, that demand started about, I want a Facebook account. And then at about 11, you know, you're like, right, okay, we'll put a fake date of birth in and all of that type of stuff. And it did begin to transform it. And, and then there was just an explosion. And that for me is what we've seen over the last few years. I would agree with you. I'd maybe stretch it out a little bit. I'd maybe stretch it out to maybe about the last five years. But mm -hmm. I think the last five years or so, there's been an explosion. And, and the thing is, it feels as if it's growing almost exponentially. You know, it's like it, it's like a, it, there's a bit of a tidal wave, a bit of tsunami that, that it's like, how do we, how do we roll this back? Mm -hmm. And I think the way we roll it back is actually by, by using the same media that caused it in the first place, which is to be out there being on Instagram, being on Facebook. I, I get told recently right enough that Facebook's for old people. So the, the youngsters aren't using it anymore. I've not got a Snapchat. I don't, I've not done Snap yet. Although my daughters keep going, you should have a Snapchat. Um, but it's, it's just using that same media to get as many people out there having those positive, positive conversations because it is now transformed. And as you say, working with children, you know, I've worked with kids as young as seven um, who are, <clears throat> albeit in, in seven-year-old context, so things like sleepovers going away from mum and dad are, are having anxiety and panic attacks. And, and that's, that's scary, you know? really scary and it goes back to what you were saying when you were growing up and you kind of wore that mask that on the outside you looked confident you looked like you had it together but there was a different story and i think we wear a mask on social media because we can portray our highlights our reel of highlights opposed to the behind the scenes 
And I think it puts tremendous pressure um, on anyone who feels like maybe they don't match up to that or they're not good enough. If they already have those limiting beliefs or those stories yep. that they tell themselves, it validates it. Um, and, and especially in motherhood, like interestingly, there was a survey done and mums, when they become a mum, their social media usage goes up by three and a half hours a day. Wow. And I think wow, that's significant. Uh, yeah, exactly. And obviously we're looking for answers. Like I don't know about your situation with your wife and obviously it was different back then because we didn't have social media so much as smartphones. Yep. But you're you're desperate to feel better and you're looking for answers on Google, you know, you're trying to kind of look outside yourself, look what everyone else is doing, look at what you should be doing. And I think sometimes it can cause disconnection because you stop trusting yourself. You become disconnected from yourself. So there is a balance. And the more that we can step up and show up in our most honest kind of self, because we all struggle, you know, then I think that yeah. is going to paint a much more realistic picture and there is a movement that definitely is um it's still quite extreme though don't you think as much as there's some really amazing stuff happening there's still the trolling and the, the awful stuff happening as well exactly i was i was talking to someone yesterday about you know the fact that um we're about to for for this year one of the things that i said i think i actually said this to you last time we spoke and um, was about being a bit more disruptive you know, and going out there and, and causing a message that, that try as I call it, banging the drum a little bit louder than normal, uh, you know, doing a lot more video content on Instagram to try and get that reach out there, which is great. But the fact is, is that you still need people to come along and listen. And, and what they have to do, therefore, is I think your point is, is absolutely perfect. And, and there's two things that happen there, which is, as you say, that those masks. So let's imagine for a new mums, um, you know, you come out, your social media goes up by three and a half hours uh, or a day. So you're on social media quite a bit. Um, you're also a, a big hormonal soup, you know, post baby. Uh, and all of those things are going on. And, and therefore, any as well underlying mental health issues that you may have even come into your pregnancy with, it's not, it's not some sort of magic wand where all of a sudden everything's great. So you're in this position. And then all of a sudden you go on and you've got many, many influencers who are got these beautiful cream-colored living rooms and their little babies sitting in the middle of them surrounded by cream-colored toys. And this woman's got her perfect makeup on going, hi, I'm mum of the year uh, and I'm mummy blogger and look how much I'm spending time with my little one. And you're thinking, shit, I, I can't afford that. I have to go back to work in six weeks and my baby's only going to be six months old and, mm -hmm. and she or he's going to have to go into nursery. And, and then that, that piles on a, a, a guilt that no mum really deserves. You, you have to be allowed to live your own life, but it can look as if you're the only one in the world that's doing it. And yeah. then the flip side of that is that then what you can end up in is, and, and I suppose you could end up in one with the, the kind of mums of the year and all the mums who are smiling and making it look easy and you're not seeing the, the bleary eyes or the, the down moments, is the echo chambers. And that, that's where I think is, is really dangerous is the echo chambers. So whereas when we were growing up, and, and we are a bit different in age, but when we were growing up, the, there's, if, if, if I had a mental health challenge, I'd probably end up going to my pals with it. When I felt a wee bit down, 
I'd probably eventually open up to my mates. I might go to my mum and dad. I, I'd, I'd find someone that I could go to. That person probably wasn't feeling the same as me. So therefore, in some ways, it might not be perfect, but I'd get some sort of help out of it. It wasn't as something that everybody had. But now I can go online and I can lose myself in, a, in an online space where everybody just feels the same as me. And then what happens is, is we just start dragging each other down and we, we end up in this horrible echo chamber where everybody's going, I totally understand your pain. Isn't it terrible that we can't get out of this? And, and then you just get stuck. And, and that's, that's what I mean about trying to get that message out there is it's very, very difficult to, yeah. to just get that reach, I suppose is what I'm saying. Yeah, and I'm finding this at the moment. Like, I'll give you my kind of thoughts in terms of, of mental health, and you can give me yours because I'd love mm. to know a little bit more, or just for the listeners, about how NLP actually works. How, you know, if you were with a client that presented with these sorts of issues, what does it look like in terms of, yep. of that? For me, I think what I see is that it's not just about bad things happening to people, it's not enough good things. It's people not having enough fun, not living their life to their full potential. If you took away money with no object, no one was watching, what would you be doing? I think that's another thing with social media, that this dopamine hit that comes along with showing up online and kind of getting those likes. It's like, I'm worthy, I'm worthy, I'm worthy. Take that away. What would you be doing to fulfill yourself? And this is the thing. Although I work with people, who have had similar experiences to me. I am committed to teaching what I most need to learn. I think that's where I'm at my best. I don't want to get stuck too much in the problem. And it's, look, I think this is what can happen with the kind of common narrative as we talk about depression, anxiety, and medication, and kind of all this kind of um, the symptoms, the effect, and we fail to look at the cause. So for me, I didn't have enough personal management tools. I hadn't really stepped into my full potential. I wasn't expressing myself. I wasn't being creative. I always say that expression is the anecdote to depression. I had inflammation. So I had imbalances going on in the gut and the gut and the brain are connected. And when you start to, and nutrient deficiencies, mums, what mum isn't depleted after giving birth? And when you start to look at it at the cause and not the effect, then it empowers you, it gives you some tools, it gives you some tangible stuff you can work on, opposed to, I don't know how you feel about this, but just putting a label on someone, you have this, or you have that, because then, for me, you start to attach your identity to it, and then what you focus on expands, and you become that person, you live into that, opposed to removing yourself and looking at it more from the cause. I always say that when you fall, look at where you tripped, not where you fell. Because that's where we can really make a difference and take back the power and stand into our, into our own kind of, um, be the agent in our own health, if you like. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that. I think my thoughts are that I'm probably about to steal about three of your little things uh, there. So they're now Brian's. Uh, they are totally nicked. Um, when you trip, look at where you fall, not where you where you tripped. I, I love that, and and that's it. There's actually a concept in in some of the schools of NLP, um, that is the the the, um, the the concept of cause and effect, and how what you and, and this is how we were always taught it is you always want to be beside the seaside, 
um, which is the, the sea of cause, basically. Sorry, I've now explained my joke. I've just ruined the joke. Oh, Jesus. Uh, that's, that's amateurish, that is. Anyway, so, uh, but yes, you always wanted to be beside the seaside because that was where the, the, you, you could take responsibility, where you had some impact. And I think there's a, a whole heap of people now who believe they are powerless. And um, there's, a, there's a, 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 a lovely piece of work, I can't remember who it was that did it, um, that says that every problem can be categorized in one of three categories, which is uh, helplessness, um, hopelessness, uh, or worthlessness. And that somewhere your problems will apply to any one or potentially two, or if you're very unfortunate, maybe all three of them, because they can then, uh, you know, if you start to feel a little bit worthless, then you can start to feel helpless. And if you start to feel helpless and worthless, then all of a sudden all hope can go. And, and this is almost at the... Uh, at the, the core of depression and, and understanding how it works. But it is, it's about taking responsibility. And I, and I love that thing as well about, you know, expression is the antidote to depression. And quite often, I, when I used to go into schools, my, my introduction used to be, hi, I'm Brian. I work with people's minds and I work with everybody such as you, you know, 16-year-olds, but I work with everybody from you right up to 40-year-olds who wake up one day and say, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? And genuinely, that tends to be my two clients. Uh, it tends to be the sort of teenagers and, and, and kind of now coming up into sort of early 20s. Uh, and then there's this sort of thing that happens in your late 30s, I mean, early 40s. Yes. <laughs> potentially. Me, <laughs> exactly. That wake up one day and go, hang on a minute. <laughs> you know, I went to university straight after school to be an accountant because I thought that would be a good job. And now I'm pissed off and I hate it and I've always hated it. But now my life's in a place where I can actually take that as a, as a look. And, and I think there's a, one of the big challenges is that it's, it's so easy to, to speak about, but actually it's sometimes much easier to do than you think it is. And it can sound like very grand. You know, we sit here, you know, doing what we do on, on, our, on the podcast and go, you know, go and live this life and follow your passion. I think one of the mistakes that people make at that point is, is that they, they, they try and move either too fast or they, they, they look at it as, as so far away that they can't do anything and then become overwhelmed. So let's say you did want to start your own business, but you currently have, you're mortgaged up to your eyeballs. Um, you know, you've just had a baby or you've, you know, you've got young children. You know, you're like, I, I don't have the facility to do that. That's fine. You don't have the facility to do it yet. But what can you do to start putting the building blocks in place that give you something to look forward to, a purpose. And we're all in a rush. Everybody's moving so fast. And I think yeah. that, again, is one of the mental health challenges yeah. is that I'm not fixed yet. I'm, I'm not better. You know, I was depressed last week and, and I want to not be depressed now. And that's not quite how it works. It's, you know, when, when my story started, I was four years between, almost four years exactly, between my first training and me actually taking the leap out into, into self-employment. And there was a lot of things that were, there was a lot of stars that aligned to make that happen. But in that four years, I never stopped working towards it. And I think when you can see a light at the end of the tunnel, even if it's quite far away, that can transform your mental health. I, I, I said to someone recently, um, you do know that it's not going to be like this forever. And yeah. you that phrase, didn't matter what else I said, but that phrase to them was, 
was huge. She came back in the next time and she said, you know, when you said to me that, that thing about it's not going to be like this forever, you're the first person that ever said that to me. And that was like a, a, a mm. revelation, if you like. And that's what we're, that's the type of thing that if you're listening to this just now, it's okay not to be in a great place but know that it doesn't have to be like this forever because you're not broken and yeah. you're not broken. Your mind is, as Annie said, you know, you, as you said, Annie, you, your, your mind's working. Absolutely. It's working perfectly to try and protect you from a lot of fears and worries that, that are kind of going around, but you have more power as long as you just take baby steps. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I tend to talk about, life motherhood as a journey of personal growth and personal growth is not one direction it's not straight line it's not like oh yeah like now i'm just gonna keep going up and up level it can be uncomfortable in fact a growth spec can feel like you're tied to a radiator crying on the floor <laughs> like you know that's where the magic happens but i think when you shift your awareness to that that opportunity comes out of struggle you know, magic comes out of our mess. We just need to be given the support, the mindset, the um, the tools to be able to transform that pain into something magical. And this is what I feel you do because something that really helped me was, you know, we talk about passion and purpose. We're not born, I don't believe we're born with passion and purpose. Like we land on this earth, this is my sole purpose. Some people have that, but I don't. It needs to be worked at. When I was younger, when I was studying, I hated hormonal health. I hated women's health. I wasn't even thinking about children. And now I work with mums all around that stuff. But that has grown out of life experience and struggle. And just this realization that, wow, this is an area that not only do I find fascinating, it's an unmet need for so many. And it grows and it grows and it grows and it's hard. As you know, I don't need to tell you that, but you did an exercise with me looks at missions and I absolutely love that because your mission doesn't have to be this like sole purpose it can feed into that but it starts with what's important to you like health adventure parenthood motherhood is a mission and that for me was kind of groundbreaking in terms of and you don't have to have one I think a lot of mums think I'm a mum now, so that's my soul, that's why I'm here, that's what I'm here to do, but I feel like I want to do some other stuff, but no, I have to do this. You can have many missions, mum, and it feeds into this soul purpose, and I, I, love, I love that. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's so important, because you mentioned something else as well there, Annie, that I think is, is, is huge, which is that mission. If you can, and, and this is really important, I think, with what you just said as well, is that, as you explained there, the mission doesn't have to be a life mission. The mission could be to to get fit. The mission could be to eat healthier. The mission could be to, um, I don't know, to, to find a new passion or to learn how to do yoga. I don't know. It could be it could be a million things. It doesn't have to be like this this huge thing. But as you said, all these little mini missions all feed into something that is much bigger, which might be to have a happy family or whatever, whatever that is. But it has to align in with your identity. And yeah. as you explained there, for many mums, and I think it's much more powerful than it is for dads, I think just because of the nature, you know, you, the, 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 well, we could look, just look at the biology. I mean, this baby grows within you. They, they mm -hmm. are a part of you for nine months. So that's massive. 
that I think it's, it's, it's a much bigger impact for mums in terms of that identity. I know that some dads do get it, and, and, and I was definitely one of them. It transformed me, but I don't think anywhere as powerful as it will be for a mum. But when that identity happens, I find that a lot of women drop all their other identities and think that that's all they need to be. Now, that's fine. If that's what you want to be and you are now mum of the year and you want to do pasta pictures and you want to get up in the morning and, you know, me and my little baby, we went for a big walk today and I let her put her hands in the sand so she could feel what it feels like at the beach and that's the type of mum you are, then I, I high-five you and I, and I go, fantastic, you be, you do you. But it's also okay if that's not who you are and that there's many, many ways to be mum. But please don't, in either of those cases, drop the rest of your labels. You are also fun. You're also sister. You're also partner. You're also um, excellent project manager. You're also CEO. You're also whatever it is. All these other labels that are part of your identity, you are still all of them and you are mum. But don't forget them because I think sometimes when you try and put that mum hat on or that mum badge on and lose all the rest, that's when you lose your identity, you therefore lose your mission. And all of a sudden what you find yourself is, is you know, thigh deep in nappies wondering what am I doing with my life? And that's exactly where all these kind of depressive symptoms and anxious symptoms can come from. Because as you said, you're not expressing yourself anymore. So you're not being, you're not being you. You're being somebody that you think the world needs you to be. Yeah. And don't we like spend a lot of time growing up trying to fit in? And I think exactly. now it's a bit like what you were saying about shaking things up. I always say being a good girl isn't good for your health. Like you should always <laughs> well, ask like why. Always ask why and be a bit of a rebel. And motherhood, there's no one size fits all. Parenthood with dads as well. Do it your way. Trust your gut get support, like talk, be clear on what's important to you. And I think this is the thing, again, just circling back to social media and what other people are doing and what's put out there, that it can become that kind of strong influence. And we lose touch of what's really important, what's in our hearts. It doesn't have to be anything huge. It could be going out in nature. It could be doing yoga. It could be having a really good laugh with some friends but you know what it feels like to be filled up you know to have that kind of high vibe state and that's what we need more of if we can shift our energy towards more of that than the bigger stuff the catastrophizing or the kind of you know the the mind stuff shall we say or the more negative part of the mind is almost crowded out because you're focusing on more of what fills you up and something that I wanted to touch on because you did a video on Facebook a while back and I have to say that I shared it and I've shared it and I've shared it and I've tried to I've talked through it myself um in my group because it was really eye-opening for me and the reason why I think this is also important we're talking about mental health we're talking about health we're talking about happiness really aren't we it's because it's really hard to give what you don't have. So if you want your children to grow up with the superpowers of compassion, kindness, which is a huge thing at the moment, um, kindness, courage, creativity, you have to first find them in yourself and model that message outwards. And this is what I'm really kind of passionate about because it is really hard otherwise to... um, 
to, to, to expect that, to give what you don't have, you know. So you did a video around prioritize, and this is what I talk about a lot with my work in terms of, yeah, self-care is a bit kind of thrown out there. Um, there's so many way, ways to do self-care, but it's the deep self-care. It's how you put yourself in the center, whatever that means. And how you nourish those parts of yourself that you need to feel good so you can project that kind of high vibe, that energy outward. And you can talk through this because the best you can. I know when you did it, you used, you drew. And we're not, we're not <laughs> I did. I, I drew pictures, but I can explain it as well. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, a very, it's a very simple model to talk through and a very simple idea to talk through. But I remember one of one of the first times that I ever spoke about this in public. It was part of a course, mm-hmm. and it got some it got some quite interesting responses from the audience in terms of like people going, "No, but I can't do that. I, that this can't happen." Um, and it, it can really raise people's stuff for such a simple model. And but once I explain it through, it it makes so much sense that I'm hoping that what happens is that. If you're listening to this just now, that you, you just just wait until you, you just think about it, just allow it to go into your head because it's everything that Annie's just talked about and, and and everything you've just said, Annie, which is is brilliant. You know, so if you imagine, if we imagine we have four slots in our life, now we have many more than four slots in our life just to fit things in. But if you just imagine four, and what we're going to fill them with is four things. We're going to fill them with you, your children or child, whatever that is, and and basically being a mum. Uh, and your partner, if you, choo- if you choose to have one, we're going to imagine that that partner uh, is not only part of this just for the, 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 the way of working this, but also is uh, the, the other parent of um, whoever the, the child is. It gets a wee bit overcomplicated when we get into that if it's not. And then the last thing we'll put in is your work, uh, your career, whatever it is that you do. And when I meet many, especially again, this is predominantly women, very occasionally it happens with guys with a partner, but not normally with the kids, funnily enough. But um, speaking, speaking to an audience of women, um, what tends to happen is, is that the top two slots are, are the vital ones. And quite often, you as mum don't occupy either of those two slots. And therefore, what happens is, is that the list goes, the child, so whoever your child is or your children, then it becomes your partner, and then it becomes you. So you're now third best. Now, inside your head, what you think is, but it's all about my kids. But you're now the type of parent who is, let's just use yoga as an example, just because we mentioned it a couple of times, who sees the yoga class that happens on a Sunday morning and then looks at it and goes, no, but I can't do that because the kids need this, 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 this. And therefore, what's happening is, is you're not doing what we talked about earlier. So you're not getting to express yourself. You're not being able to follow your passions. You're not doing anything that feeds you and fills your tank. Now, this might sound a bit crazy, but within this pattern, then, your partner is also feeling second best. So if your partner turns around and says, let's go out for a wee date night. We've not had a date night in ages. You're now saying, okay, well, I'd love to, but you know, the kids need this and that, and, oh, I'd have, and babysitters, I don't trust any babysitters, and, I, and oh, I don't know, but what if they get sick and my mum comes over and looks at them? And now the partner, your partner is constantly feeling as if 
they're, they're, they're second down the list. Can I just say for, for many women who are listening to this, you will also experience this with your partners where sometimes you'll feel second best potentially to a group of friends or, you know, like, um, do you want to go out for a date night? Oh, no, I'm out with the boys or stuff like that. It's very stereotypical, but you get the general idea. This isn't a, 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 an only a female thing. This is something that we all do. So your partner feels second best. Now, even if you put yourself second, your partner is now feeling third best and you're still not going to that yoga class. So my challenge for anybody listening this is that the only way that this pattern works, and this is a very quick version, and, and if you come to my Facebook page, then um, you can find the full video. I talk about this for 45 minutes, so <laughs> I'm trying to keep it as short as I possibly can for, for the purposes of the podcast. Um, the only way that this works is for you as mum, who is listening to this just now, to put yourself at number one. And you have to be first on that list. The next person on the list might surprise you because the next person is your partner. And then the next person is the children. And work, I think, then comes potentially after that, depending on where it is. But that's what I would always recommend. But let's just look at those top three because I am going to guarantee, Annie, we have just raised some stuff for some people. And somebody is listening to this podcast going, what? What? How can why are my kids now third best? How can he possibly say that my children are third best? But let's look at it a different way. If you put yourself first, now, I don't mean this does not give you permission to be super selfish, just, you know, like, oh, hi, who's watching the kids while you're at yoga? Oh, no one. I've just <laughs> left them. Uh, they're fine. Uh, I'm putting myself first, so I've just left them in the living room. They're fine. They'll be okay. The dog's watching them. That's not what this is about. You, you ha this, is, this is about you, though, asking, is what's about to happen okay for me? What do I want to do? I, I, do I want to go to that yoga class? And if so, is it possible for me to get there? And if the answer is yes, then you go and you go and you do it and you do whatever it is. And if you put yourself first, now you're starting to nourish yourself. And therefore, in terms of all your mental health and your passion and all these types of things, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Your partner being number two. Now, I would go as far to say that once the kids get old enough, that when you walk into the house, what this means is, is that your partner gets the first hug or and the first kiss before you go and say hello to the children. Sometimes the dog will intervene uh, or the cat will intervene before that, but they're a different kettle of fish and we just let them away with that. But, it, but the, here's why. Because if you put yourself first, one of two things happens with your relationship. I'll do the slightly negative one first, which is either you go, do you know what? This relationship is no longer nourishing me, so it's time for it to go, and it needs to, or it needs to change, and I will work my ass off, because it's now a mission, to make it change, because I deserve better. So therefore, your relationship comes better, or what happens is that your relationship ends, which sometimes can be the best thing. Um, as I always remember a, a comment that I read once online, which said that you're better to come from a broken home than to live in one. Uh, and staying together for the kids isn't putting yourself first. That's putting the kids first. But anyway, we'll, you, you get the point. Now, let's just imagine that this works out pr brilliantly. What we now have is we now have mum and dad, I'm going to assume, but it might be mum and mum, but mum and dad at the top of this tree who are feeding each other. They are nourished. They are happy people. They are people whose self-esteem pots are absolutely overflowing. They go and do what they want. They are people who are fulfilled in life. They are fulfilling their passions. And you're trying to tell me that that's, who also have a great relationship, and you're trying to tell me that that's not an amazing pair of role models 
to have for the children who then have this model to look at that go, that's who I aspire and I'm inspired to be when I grow up. Yeah. The, the, and now what you have is, I call it the perfect family pyramid because I used to draw it like a triangle. Um, <laughs> with you at the top, the partner second, and then the, the, you know, just down, and, and the kids kind of support and all that. Because what you, your job is as a mum, your job is as a parent, is to be a role model. And my challenge for many of the mums, and I call this my pokey stick moment when sometimes I see something that might make you go, ouch, uh, why did you have to go and say that? Is if you imagine your child growing up to be either a mum like you, or if they're a wee boy, to look at you and think that's what mums should be like, is that genuinely what you want them to think when they grow up, is that that's what parenthood should look like? Should it yeah. look stressful and tired and all of these things? Or should it look like someone who takes time for themselves and builds themselves and fills their pot and, and is um, someone who is, uh, is loving, loving every aspect of their life and will go on a night out? Because you know what? They have friends and their life does not revolve around little Charlie or whoever it is. I hope that makes sense. It absolutely does. And do go on to, I'll put the link to your page in the show notes because it was really powerful. And I think sometimes these things come just at the right time. Um, yeah. And I watched that when work was at the top. And, you know, I'm honest, Dan, Dan was at the bottom and he knew that without even, when you watched that video, he knew where he was. I knew where everyone <laughs> was. And it was a real thing. <laughs> it did raise, it raised some emotion. But you know what, this is, this is how you can make change. This is how you can have those maybe uncomfortable conversations, but oh boy, are they going to bring that happiness and joy. And I think it's just awesome for any mum out there. And I think in the video, you talked about how you make a spoiled child. And if yep. we sometimes overcompensate by gift giving or just putting your child first, and this is not, like you said, of course, that there are some situations where they need to be first. It's not a selfish point of view, but constantly putting their needs before your own, that is not creating or helping a child become more independent and um you know more kind of empowered if you like so we think sometimes and i think society feeds us in things are very material and so and so has got those trainers and this thing and that but actually modeling those superpowers or qualities as i call them is going to be much more kind of um helpful longer term and I know you work with a lot of kids with anxiety and yep. maybe there are patterns there again this is absolutely not placing any blame or shame around this but I think there's so much we can do in terms of that family pyramid and looking after ourselves having a great relationship you know how many of us just kind of neglect our relationship once we're married that's it. Like we don't have a vision for our relationship. What do we want exactly. together as a couple? And the stronger, the happier, the healthier that can be, then of course the kids have got such a good chance of them kind of replicating that in their own way. And the, the, the who do you go to when you come home, that was a big thing too, because it was Bonnie. It was Bonnie. And now yes, it's yeah. not. And that's made exactly. a huge difference. Like you have helped me, but you've helped our relationship massively. And I do invite people to watch that because it, it, it's eye-opening. And it's simple. 
It is, it's, and it's really simple. And, and just in case anybody's wondering, you know, you might be thinking, but, but my partner's still second best in that model. But as long as you're both running the same model, then actually yeah. your partner will be totally accepting that they're second best to you because why would they not want an amazing partner who's going off and doing what she wants to do and, uh, and, and is coming back with a smile on her face who is fulfilled and, uh, and delighted because her life has got all its boxes ticked and, and therefore she can show her superpowers as, uh, as you said there. And, and it's lovely to hear that because I think it, it, it's, it is such a simple model but, mm. and, and this comes back to I suppose what you said earlier Annie about sometimes these aren't always easy conversations but if you want no. that relationship to be fantastic you might now have to go and if you really look at it, have some tough conversations, but they're totally worth it. Because otherwise what happens is, is it just stays the same. And again, as you say about the spoiled child, you're setting a role model. I know this sounds like a bit of a, a tangent, but it, it's, it, for me, I think sometimes we, there's a great TED talk. I can't remember who the guy is that does it. I'm sure that somebody will know exactly the TED talk that I'm talking about. Even you might know it as well, Annie. It's the, there's a TED talk where the guy, um, talks about the six things that he lets his children do or the oh, six yeah. dangerous things he lets his children do. And one of them I always remember was like play with sharp knives. And uh, he talks about how he lets his kids do this because they have to learn that how to handle th these things. Now, kind of taking that on, and this might sound a little bit morose, but I, I'm going to use it as a real positive example. When my dad passed away in, in 2003, uh, the same year that I learned NLP and I got into all this, there was a lot of stuff that happened that was very coincidental, but those stories are for another time. But we made sure that our two daughters, who at that point were four and two, were a part of that. We never hid it from them because it's such a vital part of them learning what goes on. And I'm going to add on to that, in fact, with something that I've just remembered that because of something you said before. Um, Sheena, my wife, so Sheena, my wife is, um, uh, and if this makes anybody feel better, we now have two very, very well-adjusted young ladies and, and two young women who we are massively proud of. And Jody, my oldest, is halfway, as we record this anyway, is halfway through third year at St. Andrews uh, University. Um, and, the, and Amy, her, her sister, is just halfway through first year at university uh, studying textiles down in Galashiels. We've got empty nest. We've got <laughs> children in the house. Um, but the reason I mention that exactly, celebrate. Everybody's like, oh, no, what will I do? By the way, can I just say as well, that if that scares the crap out of you, that probably means that your kids are first and you've ended up wearing that big mum identity badge. Uh, so remember, <laughs> as long as you remember that you are many other things, your kids leave the house, it's actually a moment of pride. Rather, and you're a bit scared, I've got to admit, but you just don't want to protect them. Um, but Amy, especially, Jodie's slightly different, but Amy was in nursery... Um, from I think uh, 13 weeks, 14 weeks, she went into nursery as a baby because Sheena was like, I need to get back to work. She's mm -hmm. like, she's, she, as she always said, she's, as I always, I have this, this term that I, I use and I, I promise I use it very affectionately, which is a pasta pictures mum. So the, the, the mum that will sit there and do arts and crafts and all that just was not Sheena's way. She, she was the youngest of, she had two very much older brothers uh, she had never been brought up around babies. In fact, I was probably the one with, a, I was the oldest of four, had a million cousins. I, I, I taught Sheena how to like to change a nappy and how to do all that because it was just second nature to me. I'd always been around babies. And we've got two very well-adjusted young women who we're massively proud of. There is no 
rules that there is only us being fulfilled and 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 i think that them being around things like my dad passing away uh, we we over protect and and this is why we get so many young people now getting into relationships when they're teenagers uh, and getting into situations when they're teenagers where they just don't know what to do because they've been caught in wool they've been protected too much yeah. Um, from because we thought, oh, we can't show them that, we can't let them know that. Oh, I don't uh, now. I'm not saying you have full blown arguments in front of your kids, but it's also okay to say, I'm pissed off with him uh, at the moment, but look at us now, work it out, and look at us as adults, have a conversation where we show you that just because we're pissed off with someone doesn't mean that we don't love them, and that that's okay. Then that there's a coming back from that rather than, oh, well, relationships just have to be happy all the time or they're a disaster. Yeah. And I hear this all the time that mums worry that they've damaged their children because of stuff that went on in the early years where they were just in that survival loop and trying to get through the day. And this is what I say. It's okay to be honest. There's ways of communicating, but what you're modeling is that communication. We're not teaching kids to suppress it and just kind of power on through. But if we do that and we don't feed ourselves and we do all the classes and we break our back in the process of it, that's exactly what we're modeling. And then we go and cry in the toilet. We're hiding our feelings. You know, I'm, I am a very emotional person, like, but I'll cry in front of Bonnie and I'll explain why. She doesn't know all about hormone imbalance, but she will do, really. <laughs> She'll but get it. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of, it's okay to have these kind of rainbow of emotions. In fact, it's imperative. If you can feel pain, you have the capacity to feel love. I think it's so important. And that's where we're going to make a big difference in this awful stuff that's happened recently or that, you know, with Caroline black and loads of other stories that don't even make the headlines where we can encourage and support our children with communicating effectively but also it's not just about talking it's about how that information is received we don't have to fix everything we don't have to help we just need to be there and understand and make sure that that person feels safe and i think that's the thing that as a mom as a dad maybe more so there's that helper fixer identity that you want to make everything okay and I know this won't be you now because of the work that you do but um it's okay not to have all the answers 100 percent. yeah I mean it is my and uh, this might be depending on and who your audience is this might be a wee bit early early to mention this but in my uh, and I wrote uh, my second book which is called cracking the teen code and what you just said is pretty much the first the first few pages, the, the first thing that it says on the very first page is something you do is going to mess your child up. Stop trying to be a perfect parent. Just mm-hmm. understand that what you are as a teacher. And when I say you, something you do is going to mess your child up, all I mean is, is that you might pass on your fear of spiders or you might pass mm-hmm. on something and actually in trying to be perfect and not explaining that it's okay to have, I love that phrase you used, you know, that rainbow of emotions, mm-hmm. that what they grow up is, is that you actually not might just mess them up but you can actually sort of mm-hmm. cause them to have no coping strategies mm-hmm. when they get to a point where adult life hits which is normally around about 14 when adult life starts when the the, the kids with that emotional um, vocabulary that emotional range mm-hmm. all of a sudden just take off and your wee one is left there going 
I don't know how to deal with this now, this fear that I have about my exams even, or how to deal with the fact that my best friend just fell out with me because nobody's ever shown me and taught me. Yeah. And, and the way that I look at us as parents is that we're guides. And I love what you said there. We can't fix everything. Stop trying to fix and control. Mm. And, uh, you know, especially when they become teenagers, that's actually the... The, the theme of the book, if you like, is understanding and respect are the keys to change. And what that means is, is that when we take the time to remember that we were teenagers too, and I know that the reason we're doing it is going, oh, I don't want you to make the same mistakes that I did. But for the most part, we all turned out pretty much okay. And those mistakes were, as you said earlier on, a, a vital part of who we are now and and sometimes we have to let them cock up sometimes we have to let the mistakes happen painful as it is i'm not talking about huge ones i'm not talking about if you see them walking on a 10 foot high wall you go ah, if they fall off they'll learn not to do that again i'm not <laughs> saying necessarily that but within reason that that understanding that we can still be in and we can still be fallible that that we make mistakes that we get upset and because a lot now of the uh, there's a, a lovely there's a lovely book if you're interested in NLP and language there's a lovely book called Words That Change Minds um, and it's not um, it's not a, a book about children or it's just a book about how you use words to influence people but it's by a, an author called Shelley Rose Charvet but she uses a metaphor um, about modern uh, life uh, where she calls the hide and seek metaphor um, I used to use this, a very similar thing about climbing a tree but hers is much better and the idea is that when we played hide and seek when we were children, we were learning to inoculate ourselves against small moments of anxiety. We were learning what it feels like to be anxious that you might get caught. But it's not just about learning how to cope with that. It's about mm -hmm. keeping your state, about staying calm. It's about all of these things. Hide and seek actually teaches you massive amounts to be resilient, to be resourceful if you're the seeker. You know, where are they? Where could they be to puzzle solve? Mm -hmm. Now what happens is because of um, tablets and phones and by the way they, they teach kids many great things so I'm not against them in any way but a lot of the danger that our children are experiencing and a lot of the anxiety that our children experience is is, is sterilized it's yeah. will I fall off the side of this thing in temple run um, you know will the wee thing get me in my game but because it's all game playing it's it, they can just put it down they just start again if, yeah. if you get caught in hide and seek, you don't get to start again. That's your game over. You're, you, it's amazing. It's, it, the, the things that you learn through that are huge. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's about understanding that therefore, in this modern world, as parents, that we now even have a heightened responsibility to be able to show our children that there is an emotional range and it's okay to be worried and it's okay. As I say to many mums and dads that come to me for uh, help, I hope you're going to tell your children that you're here at some point maybe in their lives that you turn yes. around and you say, by the way, this is yeah. what, this is what happened. And, and, and I needed this. And some parents that are listening to this, some mums, dads perhaps as well, might disagree with what I'm about to say, but my children know, not in explicit detail, but they know what I got up to in the nineties. I didn't tell them when they were six. Uh, <laughs> I told them they, they know that I was a raver. They, they will make jokes to me about uh, various things and oh, does that remind you of that dad, you know, when you were chewing your face off and all this type of stuff. Because when the time was right, I wanted them to know that I was someone that they could come to. For instance, if somebody offered them a pill or if, they, if something happened, 
that I could give them at least some advice on, on what to do. I, I wanted to be that person and why hide who I am? That's who I was. And also, as I'm very explicit in telling them, there was a point at which that was fun. And then there was a point at which that had to end. And yeah. ending was one of the best things that ever happened in my life. And, and therefore, you know, what am I there for? Well, I, the way I look at it is, what am I teaching them about? Mm. That it's okay to have fun with certain things, but there is also a point where it stops. Am I teaching them about addiction? You could say that I probably am. You know, and, and I think in a positive way. I was here, now I'm here, and, and therefore it's okay to, to be young, but there's also a point at which you have to grow up. Where I've got many friends that have never done that and are still bouncing about the nightclubs of Glasgow chewing their faces off it in their mid-40s and you're like what are you doing you know with divorces and all sorts behind them exactly and it's a chapter it's all these chapters that make up your beautiful diverse storybook and what do we do with books we teach from them so you are using the story of your life to teach and I think that's so beautiful and and just something you were saying about language I've got that book um the language that we use is very outdated. I think the, yep. just words like depression, anxiety, I always say to people, tell me how you're feeling, but don't use those two words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, helping children especially, first of all, we need to be able to articulate how we feel ourselves and feel safe doing that in that relationship with that pyramid so that we can communicate openly without the other person trying to fix us. And then we can really help our children articulate that kind of that, that range of emotions, a hundred percent. It's really powerful, and yeah, yeah I, I I love that. And um, something else I was just thinking of. I know I'm conscious of time. Is what you just described to me is is it one of your books, The Hero's Journey? Did you write that? Yeah, that was a wee, I, I, or the, I call it the hero's secret, so not the hero's oh. journey, but the, the, the hero's journey is, a, is based on actually the hero's journey, which is a book by a guy called Malcolm Gladwell, which is brilliant. If you do any presentations or you ever want to understand your own story, um, then please, uh, I'm sure it's Malcolm Gladwell. If you search for it, you'll find it. I'm now doubting myself whether I've got the author right. Um, but the hero's journey. Uh, there's another hero's journey book by two guys called Robert Diltz and Stephen Gilligan, who are both NLPers. I've trained with with mm-hmm. both Robert and Stephen. Um, and uh, and Robert actually very recently, I was in Spain uh, training with Robert, and and it was transformational. Um, I, I look forward to talking to you about that at some point if I've not done so already. Um, and um, but my, I've just got a little ebook called The Hero's Secret, which is. Uh, a, a, basically a story not a story as in like a, a fictional story it's actually just a, a way of thinking um about how our pain can become our fuel and yes. that it's the things that we've been through that makes us a, a hero that every hero has a has something dark in their past i love superheroes if you come into my room i've got spider-man <laughs> and batman and star wars and back to the future and all these things on my walls um because Actually, all of them have a have a pain. They're they're driven by something that wasn't wasn't the way they want to be, but they use that to become a hero. They use that to help others. They use that to become someone yeah. who bring, brings something back. And that doesn't have to be that you change the world. That might just be that you're the hero to you know your children, and and that you understand that because you went through this, whatever bad thing was, that that's now going to make you a better parent. And I'm more than happy, Annie. If I've never sent that to you. 
Uh, but if you've got it, then please, I'm more than happy for you to share it and, and yeah. put it up and load it up on the websites or whatever, or um, I can send it out as well. If, if and, and that for me has been one of the most, I think, I say life-changing. There's been so much life-changing stuff that's happened. Mm -hmm. Like and we're only in February um, this year, but we get a lot of energy from pain. And I think a lot of the time, if we are always being motivated by pain, pain is a huge motivator and yep. absolutely use it to transform. But at some point, you need to be at the top of your pyramid to be able to fill your cup. So then we start to use inspiration to pull us forward. And I love this because I kind of see it the push and pull, like the push and pull of motherhood, if you like. We're in this kind of conflict. Yep one and two but I see it in terms of change that we're pushed and pushed and pushed by pain and that's great because it gets us to a certain point it takes us to work with people like yourself people like me and, and then it opens up these kind of um, opportunities and ways of thinking that oh yeah the pyramid so I need to put myself first and actually I haven't done that in a while and I love drawing and I'm going to bring all that in and soon you're filling yourself up so then inspiration comes in and then it's the pull. And this is where I see the kind of magic happen, that we're not being driven by pain anymore. We get a lot of energy from that, but actually it's what we're inspired to do. And that's where your missions, that's where your compelling future, that's where that all kind of feeds into. And that's what has helped me with working with you. Exactly. Exactly. I, and I just, I know you're conscious of time, so I'll just say one, one sentence on that, which is I wouldn't be where I am now if I wasn't bullied in school and became that lanky ginger kid with the specs. It, when I look back, was that a happy period of my life? Not particularly. It was. It was okay. Um, but look what it's led to, and that's the point. As you say, you know, when the 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 kind of the the push away from pain, where I'm just running away from it all the time, all of a sudden turned into something that now is the, the my biggest passion, uh, and yeah. uh, and potentially my 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 mission in life now has come from from that but it doesn't feel painful anymore it's now like excellent i'm going to go out there and i'm going to help others and, and there's where the pool starts so yeah when i love that we're not defined by our struggles but who we come in the face of them and yes you know for anyone that this has resonated with i do really encourage them getting in touch with you or you know you've got a wonderful team you've got a good page where you do videos and the books are incredible like so absolutely because I know how much you love your job. You, you only have to walk into the room and you feel that kind of energy and that's kind of healing in itself. So um, I do encourage people, if any of this has resonated, to get in touch. And um, is there anything else? I know we've covered loads and we could go on for a lot longer. <laughs> we could. <laughs> is there anything else you want to leave us with or anything that you just want to say or you... I think if, if I was to close this off, I think what I would say to everybody listening to this is that it doesn't matter what, what's going on um, for you at the moment. I absolutely promise you that you are not broken. And if you are somebody who's going through some sort of mental health challenge, that as, as we just talked about there, you know, it's very easy to lose yourself in pain and very easy to put all your focus on where it's sore. And sometimes you have to do that to heal from whatever it is. You have to pay attention to it. But understand that still inside you is everything that you need. You, you have everything that you require um, inside you just now. What you might need, though, is you might need help in accessing it. 
And that's where people like Annie or myself or whoever it is begin to come in because you know how you can give advice to one of your friends and you're giving advice to one of your pals and you're sitting there going, shit, I should really be listening to this myself. <laughs> this is exactly the advice uh, that I should be hearing. The, the reason that you're not applying that is because you're in it and, and you're in that problem. And therefore, if it, it doesn't mean that you're broken. It doesn't, it's not a sign of weakness. This is what I mean about when I said right at the start about transforming the way that we talk about mental health, about having these positive conversations around mental health. As I've got a couple of hashtags that I've been trying to get out this, this year, which is make anxiety public, which is go out there and go, screw it. I've got anxiety. This is what's happening. And I am anxious because you've not got it. It's not an illness, but it's something that you're doing inside your mind. Um, and also about making therapy fun. I, yes. I, I genuinely believe therapy doesn't have to be difficult. It's not all, if you find the right person, there are some amazing, amazing people out there, wherever you are in the world. And uh, there, is, there are amazing people out there that aren't doing like old fashioned this is just my opinion, but old-fashioned counseling type techniques where you're just mm -hmm. delving into stories. They're not taking you through homework or, as Annie said earlier on, where they're trying to categorize you like a psychologist would do to give you a label that you can then identify with. There are, my belief is you're not broken. Mm -hmm. And what's, what's the only thing that's happened is, is your mind has more than likely got stuck into some sort of protection mode which is therefore leading to anxiety, depression, all these different things. By the way, if, if this isn't for you and your life is running fantastically at the moment, high five to you. But for, that's amazing and please continue doing whatever you're doing. But for anybody else that's maybe listening to this, I promise it's not broken. And if you find the right person, the route out, as Annie's explained as well through this, and as you've said, Annie, is, is often much easier are much simpler than you think. It's not always easy, but it's simple. And if we can change the thoughts, we can change the feelings, and you change your thoughts all the time, just sometimes you might need somebody outside. So be brave, have the courage, send an email, a tweet, even just, hi, can you help me? And that is sometimes the most massive step um, that you have to take. And how do you do that? You put yourself first and yeah. realize that that's okay. Beautiful. I love it. I'm definitely going to listen to this one back. <laughs> nice. Excellent. So will I. Uh, I hope it's come across okay. Well, I hope you can hear me because I'm no tech pro here. But um, yeah, I, I totally agree. Working with a therapist is a testament to how much you value yourself. There is so much exactly. help there and there's so many different options. Thank you so much. I'm going to put all your details in the uh, show notes. And yeah, people get in touch, go to Brian's page, buy his books, just get on over him because he's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for the invite, Annie. It has, as always, been a pleasure and, and nice to, to just have a, a chat about stuff. And uh, yeah. so it's been really good fun. Cool. Thank you so much. Wow, awesome. Thank you, Brian. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you would like to find out more or get in contact with Brian, I have put the links to how you can do that in the show notes. Um, I do recommend checking out his Instagram account and his Facebook page. 
He regularly posts some really useful information and videos and they're very entertaining as well as informative. He also has some amazing um, online courses as, as well. So do check him out. If you enjoyed the show, please let me know. And if you're feeling super inspired, please leave me a review. I have a community for mums on Facebook called the Be Mum Community. This is a closed group where you can come and connect with other mums and find inspiration, information and get empowered to reconnect with you so you can grow into your best self. Please do come along and join, spread the love and share your magic. I'll be back again soon with another episode of the Be Your Mum podcast. Have a great week.